um, digitally or physically. You know what, as much as I've got my Bible on my phone and I use it a lot, I still prefer my print Bible, uh, namely because it's a large print, but apart from that, um, I just prefer the feel of paper and not to be with technology. You know, doing your devotional on technology is quite dangerous. And the reason I say that is if you've got a smartphone with notifications, you'll find that as you're reading your Bible, you'll get a Facebook notification, an email notification, a WhatsApp, and it will disturb what you do. So if you're able, put it into aeroplane mode and focus on Jesus. So we're looking at Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now he's talking, the in it he is talking about is the gospel, and he's saying in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? It means that we start in faith and we end in faith. Now, that's a really important thing that I want you to grab a hold of today because there are lots of people who start in faith and then move on to self-effort. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. But then he says this, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, those of us who maybe a little bit older and know some of the older Bible translations, uh, used to say, the just shall live by faith. Those who have been justified, those who have been made righteous, how do they live? They live by faith. <coughs> now, I do need to say that a lot of your Bibles will have a footnote on this verse. And so mine says this, or it could say this, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Let me repeat that. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. So there's a kind of two nuances in this text. The first one is that if we are righteous, then we will live by faith. And the second nuance is that actually it is by faith that we are made righteous. So there are kind of two things that this verse is saying to us. It's saying to us that our righteousness comes by faith, and when we have been made righteous, that is through receiving Jesus, then we live our lives by faith. Let me unpack that a little bit. Those are two sides of one coin. In Galatians chapter 3, Verse 10 to 14, we see this. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Let me just pause for a moment. If you depend on the law, what is the law? The law of the Ten Commandments and all of the first five books of the Old Testament that has law. If you depend on that law to make you righteous... Paul says here, you're under a curse. Now, I say that because in our modern world, there are lots of Christians that still try to live by the Old Testament code. Now, it's not a problem 
unless you are thinking that it puts you in good standing with God. Because it doesn't. The Old Testament law is an old covenant. So we have in our Bibles, I've mentioned this a few times, but I'll, I'll mention it again because it's important. We have a Bible that was canonized. I'll say what that means in a minute. It was canonized in the year 347. And that means that all the individual letters, because this is not one book, it is made up of lots of different writings. And our church fathers in the year 347 came together and they said, the church recognizes that these 66 books and letters and everything are God's word, and so we will put them together in a library. That's what canon means. Canon means library. And so we have 66 books that were put in there, but they are put into two sections. They're put into one section that is called the Old Testament, and they're put into another section called the New Testament. Now, a testament is an agreement or a covenant. Yeah. So if you go to buy a house you enter into a covenant with the person selling the house and you get a deed that says you've now done the process. It's a legal thing. If you get married, you enter into a covenant. Now, we have two books or two sections, one with an old covenant and one with a new covenant. The old covenant is God's covenant with Israel. Now, it's not quite true because there's a pre-covenant that God made with Adam, but we'll just leave that to the side for the moment. But God chose a man called Abraham, and through his descendants came the nation of Israel, and he made a covenant with them. And in his covenant, if you're like me, you read through your Bible, you may well be in around Leviticus. I'm reading through Leviticus, and man, it's hard work. I just read this morning that if I have a piece of mold in the bricks in my house, then I need to call the priest, but I've got to empty my house first, otherwise he'll say everything's unclean. He'll come in, he'll say, knock those bricks out, scrape the plaster off, throw it into an unclean place, and then close up the house, and then go away, come back after seven days. If it's still there, the house is unclean, let's knock the whole house down and throw it all away. Now that is part of the Old Testament law, yeah? And that was God's agreement with the Israelites that if I'm going to live among you, we need to have an agreement about how we're going to live. Now, the tragedy is that the Israelites chose by and large over the years to not live by that covenant, and so God cast them out. Now, that doesn't mean they're cast out for all time, but it means they're cast out. And that Old Testament law is bound up within that. Then we have God becoming man in Jesus Christ, and he comes down. And what we celebrated this morning is a new covenant. So we now have a new agreement. The old one was just with the nation of Israel. The new agreement is with every single person on the planet who chooses by faith to believe in Jesus. And they enter into a covenant with Jesus, which is the New Testament. So you can understand why Paul is saying here, but those who depend on the Old Testament covenant to make them right with God are under a curse because we now have a new one. 
If you have a new agreement with your landlord, then the old one is defunct. It no longer applies. If you have a new will and testament in your life, the old one no longer works. And so I'm saying that because I see quite a lot where people are quoting Old Testament scripture as if it's law that we have to live by now. And I keep saying, actually, no, that, is, that was for the Israelites. Now, some of those things may be good to do, but none of those things will save you. None of them. The thing that saves us is faith. Faith saves us. Pure and simple, God's grace, Galatians 2.8, God's grace comes and the faith in God releases grace that saves us. Not by works. So as we're going through here, the, the, the just or the righteous, they live by faith in the new covenant that Jesus Christ has purchased with his death that we celebrated here this morning. That's the covenant that we celebrate. So getting back to Galatians 3, verse 10, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse, for the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So he's really simply saying that we cannot be saved by, by following any form of regulations or law. We are saved simply by our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection and his forgiveness of sins, that his body removes our sin. Because the ultimate thing, if we kind of look at it as a baseline, the thing that is the problem for all mankind is that everybody has sinned. From the smallest child to the oldest person, we have all sinned, not because we do sinful things, but because we have a sinful nature that we have inherited all the way back from Adam and Eve through Noah. We have inherited a sinful nature. And so the, the truth is this, it's not our acts of sin that make us sinners, but it is our sin that make us do acts of sin. But if we never did an act of sin, we would still be a sinner. Let me give you a slightly different example. If you have COVID, you might not have COVID symptoms, but you've still got COVID. The symptoms don't give you COVID. The COVID gives you the symptoms. 
We have sin and sin works its way out in acts that are wrong in God's sight. So when we lie and steal, when we do all the things in the Bible that we should not be doing, they come out of a sinful nature that we possess. Those acts will be judged, but actually the judgment comes on the fact that within us is this sinful nature that God has to deal with, and he has to deal with it in every single human being. And so the challenge is that we have a multitude of religions across the world, and my question always to any faith or anybody who has any form of spirituality who doesn't believe in Jesus, I ask them, how do you deal with sin? And their answer normally is this, well, I try to do more good than bad. And then I go, well, you're stuffed then, aren't you? Because we don't. We do more bad than good. I'm sorry, we do. Because we're not just looking at somebody going around punching somebody in the head. We're looking at lustful thoughts. We're looking at thoughts of anger that the Bible says is the same as murder. We're looking at all the inward life that we have, all the things going on in our mind that begin to affect how we live. And so none of us is righteous in God's sight. No, no, not, no one. Not the Pope. Not Mother Teresa. No one is righteous in God's sight. And so we, we make this really simple step by recognizing that we have a sinful nature and that we do sinful things. And we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Now, there's a bit of a tributary I've got to go up for a moment to explain something. Once we have done that, it isn't all over. Because the sinful nature in us will not be removed until Christ comes again and we receive a perfected body. And so we live in a body and this body has a sinful nature within it and that sinful nature will keep tripping you up. It will. You can try as hard as you like to purify your thoughts, to never say a bad word to anybody, to always be good. And I will tell you that once you get out of bed in the morning, you're in trouble. It was that story that I heard of this guy. He's praying. He said, Lord, I thank you. Today so far, I have not sinned. My thoughts have been good. My actions have been good. Everything has been good, but I'm about to get out of bed. So please help me for the rest of the day. And the thing is, we cannot sustain that. Now, here's the good news. In the Old Testament, so the Old Covenant, the people had to live according to God's commands, but God built into it a kind of fail-safe that if you break them, here's what you do to get your sin forgiven. And the book of Leviticus is all about that. If you wanted to be an Old Testament priest, the closest job I can think of today is a butcher. Because the priest's job was that people brought the animals that they needed to give uh, to cover their sin, and he had to chop it up, burn it here, and sacrifice here, and put the blood there, and, and put the oil on there. <coughs> the point is this. God had built into the Old Covenant a way for which when we sin, we can be forgiven. Now, I cannot believe 
that a God who would do that with the old covenant would make the new covenant not have that in. And so in the new covenant, there is still a way when we sin that we can seek forgiveness and be forgiven. And that is not by good works. That is by faith. We start by faith. We finish by faith. And every time we fall, I was reading this with Smith Wigglesworth. I love this. And he said, it is not the number of times you fall. It is the number of times you get up that counts. And so we sin. And we say, Jesus, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. And then we sin again. We say, Jesus. And we keep going through life. Because let me tell you, I'll be 54 this year. It's not any easier than when I was 21. We still sin. But we come to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness. We don't condemn ourselves. Because if we condemn ourselves, we're not acknowledging that we have a sinful nature that impacts us day by day by day. But we come. Now, now here's the thing. Don't try and cover up your sin. Don't make excuses for your sin. Just come and repent. The one thing I've learned in 30 plus years of following Jesus is as soon as I sin, I repent. I don't wait two seconds. I don't wait for an opportune time. I just come and say, Lord, I did this and I'm really sorry. And I receive his forgiveness. Now, over the years, God's grace helps us to overcome some things. And so we'll find we become a little bit holier as we move along. Some people... Jesus heals of things they have. There are people who have problems with gambling, pornography, or whatever else, and they are instantly healed. But other people know they have to trust day by day. The Apostle Paul had something that was bothering him in terms of sin, and he said, God, will you take it away? He said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient. What does that mean? It means that he had to trust every day and he had to keep it before the Lord all the time and it brings humility. And so the challenge for us is that we live by faith. Romans 1.17, we've said from start to finish, it is faith and it is not works. Now let me read something from Galatians, another part of Galatians, where Paul talks to the church, because what the church has done, they started by saying, I have faith in what Jesus has done, and then they started to get into good works, and they started to think, oh, we need to obey the Old Testament, we need to do this and that, and here's Paul's response to that. Galatians 3, verse 1 to 7. Oh, foolish Galatians. What a great way to start a letter, hey? Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You have experienced so much for nothing. Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again. 
Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you <coughs> because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. So you see that it's so easy for us to move from faith to something as works. Now, we'd say, well, I'm not doing that with the Old Testament. But let me ask you, are you doing that with our church traditions? Oh, well, I'm going to get to heaven. I go to church on Sunday. I'm going to get to heaven because I pray every day and I read my Bible from cover to cover. I'm going to get to heaven because I do good works and help people. No, 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 no. You think like that and you have moved from faith to works and Paul says that's, that's foolish. It's faith. Every time it's exactly the same, it's faith. And why is it faith? Because we can't save ourselves. And so we trust. We trust in Jesus moment by moment, day by day, when we sin, we repent. When we're aware we've done wrong, we repent. But we draw down his grace. We spend time with him. Yes, we do read the word. We memorize it. We try to do what he tells us. But we recognize that none of that saves us. Now that should give us a sigh of relief. Because if it's dependent on works, we're in trouble. One of the things I've noticed when I talk with people, um, I used to do a lot of evangelism, I used to chat to people, and I used to say, so are you a sinner? And you know what people's response normally is? Well, I, I'm not as bad as that guy. But you know what? Never once did I hear somebody say, well, I'm not as good as Mother Teresa. It would always be a comparison to somebody worse. Well, I'm not as bad as a murderer. I'm not as bad as a thief. I'm not as bad as a politician. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I'm not as bad as whatever. The thing is, it's not about comparing ourselves to other people. It's recognizing there is not one thing you can do in your life that will save you except this issue of faith of believing the message of Jesus. And that should be the most freeing thing in your life because as you believe that message, God sends his power into you to live a different kind of life. There are sins you will overcome because God's grace works in you, not because of self-effort. And I can tell you, those of you who are younger than 50, I can tell you for 50 plus years of trying, you cannot overcome your sinful nature. You might do it for a week, for a month, for six months. And then bang, when you're not looking, it will get you. Let me give you a really simple illustration. How many of you have holidays? Anybody have holidays? Okay. Let me ask you a question. Holiday is your own discretionary time, yeah? It's your time. Do you read more of the Bible or less of the Bible? Do you pray more? Or do you pray less? Because normally we should do more, but when we're on holiday, we do less. We get back to work and then I've got to catch up now what I've missed. 
Why? Because our sinful nature will say, hey man, take it easy. Don't bother, you're on holiday, you need a rest. You know, our sinful nature does not let up. There was a cartoon many, many years ago, and it was of Satan sitting outside a church and he was weeping. And a passerby comes along and he says, what's the trouble? He says, well, they're blaming me for everything in there. I've never been in the building. Because we don't recognize that 90% of our struggle is against our own sinful nature. Did the devil make Eve pick the fruit from the tree and eat it? Did he make her turn to Adam and give it to him? And he didn't know. But what he did is he suggested. If, if I wanted to give probably the closest parallel today of who Satan is, I would say it's advertising. Because what advertising does, it influences your sinful nature. It kind of goes on that. I mean, isn't it, isn't it totally crazy that before Christmas, the advertising is all about Buy six mince pies and get 20 free and buy this cake and get that free and buy this drink and get that free. And after Christmas, the advertising is, you greedy person, go to the gym. That's the devil. He will tempt you to do all of those things and then he'll condemn you for it. And you go, hold on a minute. I was just following the advert. The thing is, our sinful nature does not need a great deal of goading to do things. It doesn't. That's why scripture says that we need God to help us. We need God to help us take captive thoughts in our mind. And, and here's the other thing about thoughts for a moment. Where do your thoughts in your mind come from? There are three sources to the thoughts in your mind. One is yourself, two is the world, and three is the devil. Yeah. What does that mean? That means that not every thought in your mind is one that you have created. I was taught when I was in youth, it was really funny, when I was in youth, we had this youth leader come in and he was on about temptation, about the thoughts that come into our mind. And he, he put the picture like this, always stayed with me. He says, thoughts are like birds, yeah? And they'll come and they'll sit on your head. And he says, now your job is to get your comb out, comb your hair and remove them. Thanks, Luke. But you are not responsible for the thoughts that fly over your head that you can do nothing about. Now, we pray, we take captive every thought, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us, but we should not be under the illusion that every thought we have in our mind is of our own making, because it's not. And the devil will throw stuff in there. If I told you some of the stuff that goes on in my head, and I pray, say, Lord, take that away. I rebuke the devil. Say, that's not mine. Take it. Years ago, there was a guy who, who said it's like this, your mind is a bit like this, that it's filled with furniture. 
yeah? And God's furniture is white, yeah? Just for sake of argument, God's furniture is white. So as you read the Bible, as you interact with God, as you fill your mind with God's word, you're putting more and more white furniture in your, your mind. When the devil sows his thought, well, his furniture is black. Now, black furniture in a room full of white stuff is pretty easy to see. The challenge is we live in a world that puts red furniture in, green furniture. You know, the world will put all kinds of stuff in your head. And so when the devil puts black furniture in, it becomes harder to see. And so part of the challenge, one of the reasons we read the Bible is the Bible talks about the washing of the Word of God, that we read the Scriptures and it washes us through. The amount of times I find through meditation on Scripture, through reading the Bible, that it takes things in my mind and says, that's not right, and, and I say, Lord, take it, and He in His grace removes it. And so we live by faith. That means that we live by what's written in this New Testament covenant. Yet yeah, yeah, the Old Testament uh, covenant is also God's word, but we need to treat it slightly differently than we do the New Testament covenant because that New Testament applies to us. People ask me and say, oh, you know, in the Old Testament it says you shouldn't do this. Do you do that? I say, yeah, I do. He said, well, why do you do it? I say, I'm not an Israelite. You know, if I was following Old Testament law, that's the end of my bacon butties. It is. You can't eat bacon. In fact, you can't eat a whole lot of stuff. And so you've got to be really careful you don't put yourself into a legalism when the New Testament says that actually God has blessed everything. And so we need to be really cautious. Now, that does not mean we have a license to do everything because Paul also said, if my eating meat offends another believer, I will stop eating meat. Why? Because I'm governed by the law of love, which is a New Testament covenant law, that we love one another. But it's not based on us doing things so that we get saved by them. <coughs> now, I'm nowhere near through of where I was going, but time is marching away. So I just really want to just reiterate, the righteous live by faith. We have been made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus. We've celebrated it this morning, that Jesus came, he suffered, he died, he rose from the dead, he's now seated in heaven above every power and every authority. And because of that act of Jesus, if we choose to believe in it, and if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive us, and we are cleansed and made holy, and we go to heaven. But that is the way we tackle everything. How do we overcome anger? Through faith. How do we overcome lust? Through faith. We trust in Jesus. Now, I know I've said all of that in terms of faith, but there are things where we do need help with. You know, I've, over the years, I've met a number of people with addictions from alcohol, drugs, and stuff, and they need some help. And they will go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and they will help them through, and that doesn't mean that they don't have faith, but actually, they're getting help, but their trust is still in Jesus. You know, each one of us has something different that we 
are weak in. You know, I don't have any issues with gambling, but I know people who do. Each one of us suffers with different things. And so, you know, there are some things we're more susceptible to, and that means sometimes we need to get some professional help. That is not negating God. You know, we go to the doctors and we get medicine. Why? Because we recognize there's something wrong with our body, and God has created the ability for these medicines to help us. Now, where those don't work, we trust in God for healing. But the point is that we are trusting in God day by day. We're living by faith. We're allowing God's word to determine how we live, not the world. And let me tell you, if you listen to that devil advertising, you will never, ever follow what God wants for you. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Be a person who lives by faith in your home life, in your work life, in your family life, with your neighbors, that we live by faith. That we're saying, Lord, is there anything here that you need me to do? Is there anything? And, and trusting in his word. You know what? The most powerful scripture is that we will be forgiven all of our sins if we trust in him. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God loves us, and as we believe it, we begin to see the grace flow. And let me say, God's grace flows through faith. So something that we can't overcome in ourselves, as we trust in God and his power, we find we can overcome because the Holy Spirit gives us the power to overcome. And that's how we progress forward in a life of faith. We keep trusting God, we keep looking to him, and he does it. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning that you call us to live by faith. And Lord, that is just a, an amazing blessing on us because it means you call us to live in a relationship with you. And so Lord, I pray this morning, whatever issues we're facing, whatever situations we're facing, that we live by faith that we live by faith. And Father, I pray that you'd give us gifts of faith in this church. I pray for whatever situations we're in, you would give us the faith to know and believe that you will set us free, that you will help us, that you will give us the grace that we need. And Father, I pray as well that we would be those bringers of life to other people, that as they see our faith, that people around us would say, I want that same overcoming faith and we would receive it. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning. We bless you and we ask that you would empower us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.